0: excuse me, um, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. (coughs) And we are the news and media talk show. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, the situation in Houston... Is uh, more than serious.
1: Um, well, it's bad getting worse, yeah, actually. It, Overnight, uh, there's going to be a whole lot more rain.
0: Yeah. And this is going to be a human catastrophe of the first order. Um, you know, forget these preliminary announcements about death tolls. Uh, this is going to involve a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people who displaced. May not be able separated to, from family. Yeah. May not be able to return to their homes. Uh, when you live in America and you don't have electricity or sewer, can't flush toilets. Um, life is very different. And of course, many, many people are in their houses. They can't even still. Yeah. They can't really even leave. Um The roads are impassable in many, many areas. Well, and, of course, in previous incidents of hurricane
1: in Texas, attempts at evacuation were themselves problematic. Yeah. Um, And so the debate as to whether more people should have left earlier this time, well, a lot of that reluctance to do so was based on the poor results of the previous attempt.
0: Yeah, and there have been a number of... Um, I'm not going to get into a lot of nitpicking about whether this is a thousand-year storm. I kind of doubt it um, because let's face facts. Houston and the Houston area has had flooding, serious flooding, three years in a row now. Um, I heard an expert <clears throat> on WOAM, a professor at Texas A&M, I believe, who noted that Houston is the most dangerous city in America to die in a flood. It's got three times the rate of any other city. So there need to be some serious, uh, shall we say, examinations of the whole situation in this area. Uh, Houston, of course, became a city because of the Galveston hurricane mm-hmm. back in 1900 back when we didn't have weather forecasting um, pretty much at all. <laughs> yeah, no advance warning. Um, in fact, there wasn't even radio back then. <laughs> and you kind of forget, you know, the 1900 Galveston hurricane.
1: Cataclysmic.
0: Cat- it killed like six to 10,000 people. Galveston was the big city in that area, and that's how Houston actually was created people moved to the other side of the Galveston Bay, basically. And, of course, Houston, I've never been there, but uh, having been in New Orleans. It's one of the largest cities
1: in the country now.
0: Well, it's the fourth largest city, and what's fascinating about it is it's, it's it's a city that grew as a result of World War II. And then it grew more. It had another big bump in in economic growth and population growth because of the uh, Space Center. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, in an effort to sort of ratify John F. Kennedy's uh, legacy, his famous speech about landing a man in the moon by the end of the decade, he created the Johnson's, it's called the Johnson Space Center in the Houston area. So it grew as a city massively between uh, 1943, 45, and uh, really until about 1980. It's still been growing. And in fact, one of the ironies is that many of the refugees, I'm going to use that word, from New Orleans Mm. ended up in Houston. Uh, And this never made it back to New Orleans. Never made it back. Because if you don't have flood insurance and your house is basically a total loss and you don't have that good of a job, (laughs) what's the point of going back? You have to literally start over somewhere else. And um, this is... Let's face facts, this is this is what we're looking at right now. Uh, wealthy people uh, have the ability to fly out of Houston on a short notice. Poorer people may not have the resources to go stay in a hotel for five days. In fact, they wouldn't even be able to stay in the Trump Hotel for even one day. Well, you mentioned that there's been significant flooding
1: in Houston for three years in a row. The extent to which the magnitude of these kinds of storms is exacerbated by the fictitious climate shift you know, is something that's eventually
0: going to have to be addressed here as well. Well, and we need to remember that the Gulf of Mexico is warming up. Uh, if there's one area of the world that's getting clearly warmer, it's the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico is the temperature of bathwater uh, close to the shore shores of, of the American side of the Gulf of Mexico. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't like swimming in really, really <laughs> warm water. And, of course, the Gulf of Mexico has all of these uh, petrochemical and oil uh, facilities. <clears throat> a lot of runoff. A lot of runoff. There's a lot of oil rigs. This, this is shut down. And that's another element of the
1: flooding, which, because it's still ongoing, has not even been uh, commented on yet. Every car in the Houston area that's flooded, all those petrochemicals are now just spread everywhere yeah. across wherever there's water. And it's- So there's a toxic element to uh, the sewage and industrial solvents and petrochemicals that's going to be coating everything.
0: Yeah. And, and of course, major. today, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers announced that they were releasing <clears throat> some water from uh, the reservoir dams to avoid them being overwhelmed because they're older facilities. This gets back to infrastructure. What has the Texas legislature been doing uh, this summer? Have, have wondering they been, about the bathrooms. Have they been talking about uh, the flooding problem in Houston? They've been
1: all all in knickers and a twist about the gender bathroom. Problem.
0: Yes. And their other big issue, of course, has been Planned Parenthood. Defunding it. And guns on campus. Guns on campus. So as uh, uh, to borrow an expression from the good, the bad, and the ugly... There are two kinds of people in the world, my friend: <laughs> those with loaded guns, and those who bail. You are bailing. Of course, that's not the exact line, but <laughs> close enough. Um.
1: Well, you know, while first responders and you know uh, many volunteers are doing you know truly heroic work right now, rescuing people off rooftops and. Hospitals are being evacuated. This is something that people do when there's a moment of crisis upon them. But if the Texas legislature had been more attentive to these infrastructural needs, and that could be said of any state in this country, here in Michigan, we don't have this kind of flooding. Uh, But heaven help us against it, because our state legislature is pretty ineffective.
0: Pretty ineffective and a good example of the difference between Ann Arbor and Houston. Um, And I don't want to rub things in because obviously the situation in Houston is uh, fluid and getting worse. And the water doesn't drain well in this soil. I looked up in the almanac. Houston is only 47 feet above sea level. Uh, This is actually one of the first cities in America that factually will be underwater in 100 years, po- possibly. Uh, the water's got nowhere to go. <laughs> uh, the soil has...
1: Well, it finds its own level, as they say. I mean, yeah,
0: the soil physically. is heavily clay-oriented. It doesn't drain well. Uh, there's pavement all over the place. This is a sprawl. This is the fourth largest city in America, and one of the reasons is it's it's a big... Geographic
1: strip malls, uh, city. In other words,
0: Detroit, the Detroit area, in some ways is bigger. Um, But this hurricane, uh, which it's irrelevant whether it's a hurricane or a tropical storm. I mean, we learned from Katrina that the problem is the water. Obviously, the wind damage on a direct hit is substantial. And the little tiny town near uh, Corpus Christi that took the brunt of um, the eye of the storm, that's that's a total loss. I mean, the reports from this town, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of it. Dickinson, I think. It's no, it's not Dickinson. Okay. But there's 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 um, it's got eleven thousand people. It's actually kind of a fun city where people go to enjoy the beach. Um, it's, it, it's pretty much total loss and well, let's remember there's debris over an area the size of Delaware. I mentioned that because of course, just a couple of weeks ago, a, uh, glacier in the Antarctic, the size of Delaware fell off oh, right. the Larson ice shelf, <laughs> just collapsed, uh, has, According to the scientists, as much wa- twice the w- amount of water as Lake Erie. Think about that for a second.
1: Just thrown into the mix.
0: Thrown into the mix, um, and of course, Donald Trump as uh, Hurricane Harvey is hitting the Texas coast. What is he doing? He's pardoning Joe Arpaio and issuing a new transgender military ban. Claiming, by the way, that he did so on Friday
1: night, which is traditionally viewed as the late week news dump. Yes. Where you're trying to sort of just toss something in and it won't really get discussed until the Sunday morning chat shows. Uh, His claim is that, oh, well, the ratings were going to be highest then. Because it's like everything he does is like a TV show that's happening live now in real time. Crazy stuff. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Of course, Joe Arpaio. And, you know, Trump last... Tuesday or Wednesday—I forget what night it was—he had a another campaign rally. I guess he's officially already running for reelection. Rather, well, rather it, a remark.
1: That's how he has his fun. <laughs> um, that's apparently the only thing to really get him his jollies. Uh,
0: denouncing the senators from Arizona.
1: Indeed, uh, I'd say going beyond denouncing. Yeah. Uh, just an out-and-out thrashing. Yeah. You'd think they were Democrats or communists or something. <laughs> I mean, okay, we've had our laughs at uh, John McCain and his failure to put on his space helmet over the years on the show, but the guy's suffering from brain cancer at the moment. Exactly. And you're going to savage a guy?
0: Well, it's, it's typical Trump. He's, he's clueless, and at this point, he's rudderless. Well, I mean, there will ultimately be some kind of political
1: cost For this, one of the other stories that emerged throughout this last week was that uh, that kerfuffle with uh, Mitch McConnell a couple of weeks ago was, in fact, a response to McConnell's refusal to shield Trump from the Russia investigation. He's still trying to shut that down. Yeah. So
0: he he doesn't get it. He won't get it. He isn't going to get it. Well, in connection with that, it might be advisable for Mr. Mueller to... Take the slow train to Georgia. <laughs> don't don't indict anybody for quite some time. Keep the investigation going. Uh, Trump oh, yeah. obviously will issue the pardon to protect his uh, minions within the government. That's quite clear. Um, Joe Arpaio is an old man, so I can see maybe pardoning him at some point. But he hasn't even been sentenced. So,
1: well, is it, uh, am I wrong or don't presidents usually save the pardon for that's one of the last things you do? Yeah. I mean, how, how often does a president give a pardon, uh, any other time than their last year in office, let alone within the first seven months?
0: Well, and also in, in Has the, that ever happened? Well, I don't recall it. Um, I think that, uh, Richard Nixon gave Jimmy Hoffa a pardon shortly after getting (laughs) reelected or shortly after getting elected. I forget when the Jimmy Hoffa pardon was issued by Nixon, but that was one of his uh, notorious pardons. Quite a mental construct there. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, to to pardon Joe Arpaio and then make a big show of it like he did out in Arizona in the midst of the Charlottesville situation Mm -hmm. is incredible. I, well, I mean, it's it's, it's just—and and Trump, obviously, uh, is not going to admit his mistakes. I went over some of this last week, that this whole Charlottesville thing, I think Trump would have survived if he'd just kept his mouth shut <laughs> as of Monday, uh, two weeks ago. But he decided he wanted to lash out yet again and go back to his original talking points— of, quote, blaming both sides or claiming that they were equally culpable in what actually happened in Charlottesville. Even though every other major Republican, I mean, let's face it, it's the easiest
1: slam dunk in the world to denounce Nazis and KKK members. Uh, it's, it should be the easiest thing in the world to do. and And most Republicans were doing it. And and some were even calling the president out on not having done so clearly and, you know, significantly. Um, but it's just remarkable that uh, this goes there.
0: Gary Cohn, uh, <clears throat> his top economic advisor, his chairman of his, you know, whatever they call him, the Economic Council of Advisors. Wrote a letter of resignation. Wrote a letter of resignation in response to Trump's... Uh, shenanigans and Trump turned them down but uh it, it paints the entire party with the
1: racist brush that they're trying oh so desperately to you know wash the taint from but there's more and more taint coming off of Trump that's just
0: the Republicans are not going to be able to scrub it all away. Well they're not and it's bizarre of course that just a couple of days ago Trump was, threatening to shut down the U.S. government um, over the, the wall, <laughs> um, unable to get Mexico to pay for the wall. Trump has decided that Congress now must appropriate money for the wall. I would suggest that given the situation in Houston, that uh, some serious reexaminations be given. Dig a moat instead. Well, they could move the debris uh, in this area the size of Delaware, probably, from where it's at down to the Rio Grande border. They could start piling it up and call it the Trump National Monument. Just a big pile of crap all wet and (laughs) ruined. (laughs) P.O.G. P.O.G. Piles of garbage. That'll keep them out of here. Um... And, gee, that'll take care of the debris. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Trump's uh, going to Texas tomorrow to make a an appearance. I don't know what the point of that is. You'd think
1: it would just add to the stress for all concerned with regards to the security considerations and logistical ramifications of a high
0: security level visit. Completely needless. Well, he could sport the George Washington costume and— Cross the Delaware. (laughs) That ought to make for an interesting uh, picture. Well, when he's done crossing the Kyber Pass. (laughs) It's it's incredible. And, of course, uh, we're we're being informed that the federal flood insurance uh, program is already $25 billion in deficit. And this program needs to be renewed. This is actually one of the real jobs uh, Congress... Was supposed to be doing this summer, uh, but too busy trying to repeal Obamacare to, to uh, even get to that issue. Um, and I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what what all the uh, what, what all of the fallout is going to be from this. But what we learned from the Katrina disaster back in two thousand and five is that the insurance companies use loopholes. Tricky wording and all kinds of uh, stuff to prevent paying out. They will say, oh, the damage wasn't caused by flooding. (laughs) It was caused by suburban sprawl. I mean, they can come up with all kinds of concocted reasons not to pay out, even to those people who have insurance. Remember, it was Trent Lott who was denied uh, coverage on one of his coastal palaces in Mississippi from Katrina that exposed what the insurance companies are all about. Um, So I, I think that this whole event is going to expose all sorts of real problems with You know the way we're our perspective on things, our our priorities. Um, I'm not going to say that there's a good thing about the situation in Houston, but it's certainly taken away all the attention on statues. Yeah, Um, which is uh, for a time for the time being, a side
1: argument at best.
0: You know there there are so many irrelevancies going on with the Trump agenda, that, you know, our real problems are simply not being ignored, are being ignored, and that the adults in the room have to take control of the situation. And I don't know whether McConnell is uh, going to get his, his act together, uh, but you wonder. And- take his ball and go home. How on earth can you have tax cuts that are being proposed? Um,
1: yeah, they're never going to get to tax reform by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, and as oh yeah, we we are getting a, a caller reminding us that Gerald R. Ford, pardon Richard Nixon, but that was. <laughs> An interesting event in and of itself. Yeah, that would have been early in his term as president, which was part of how I had framed the comment. Yeah. But there was certainly a political price to pay for that. Well, there was, and and polling has shown that that cost Ford the election yep. uh, in many ways. Uh, his history, <clears throat> looking back on that pardon, by the way, uh, I think is somewhat vindicated Ford. By the way, I went to an outstanding talk at the Ford Library uh, here in Ann Arbor a couple of years ago on the 40th anniversary of these events that went into great detail about the actual pardon and how it happened. Gerald R. Ford did not agree to pardon Nixon unless he agreed to admitting wrongdoing. This did not happen with Joe Arpaio. And Donald Trump. Yeah, usually it's meant as a sort of uh, once an act of contrition has been uh, rendered up. Nixon tried to wriggle his way out of that, and Ford, to his credit, wouldn't allow it. Now, whether or not there was a, a deal beforehand on the pardon, we'll never really know. But despite the fact that I disagreed with Gerald R. Ford on a lot of things related to policy, I think that as an individual... He had integrity. He was an honest president. Um, he was lampooned by Saturday Night Live as being a klutz, for instance. Ridiculous. He's probably the most athletic president that ever occupied the Oval Office. He stumbled once coming off a plane. Chevy Chase soaked that for all it's worth. But I don't think that Gerald R. Ford... Uh, pardon Nixon for any sort of underhanded deal. I don't think there was. Any... It wasn't a quid pro quo. I'll name not at all. Vice President, and this historian, I think, proved his arguments quite effectively. I wish I had the name of him on the tip of my tongue at the moment. But by the way, just to mention the Gerald R. Ford Library at at this moment, they have uh, talks about once a month up at the up in North Campus, open to the public. And historians give very interesting talks on a variety of subjects, uh, well worth checking out from time to time. I went a lot during the anniversary of Watergate a couple of years ago, including a uh, historian that wrote a book about uh, deep throat that I think uh, got some things wrong. But uh, in any case, uh, getting back very briefly to Ann Arbor and the difference. Back in the late 90s, I was living <clears throat> over near the football stadium, and we had a rain event one summer where it rained five inches in two or three hours. It was documented as the heaviest rainfall ever recorded in Ann Arbor for a 24-hour period. And Ann Arbor had some flooding. There was some flooding over near Fingerly, Anywhere that you have a low-lying area, you had serious water collecting. State Street. You know, the here. sewage uh, storm drains got blown off. You've seen pictures of the manhole cover getting blown off. That, that's water pressure. That's the system getting backed up. <clears throat> Ann Arbor did something about the problem immediately. They began building much larger storm drains that started out over near the stadium and went all the way around to Miller-Maple area. They were doing this in little stretches for almost a decade in a row. If you looked at the storm drain pipes that they were putting in, they were dealing with the infrastructure problem. Because what happened as a result of that flooding, quote-unquote, there was a neighborhood called Dartmoor that had sewage backup in the houses, basically the the system got so overwhelmed with water and the and this is a a low-lying area uh, out on uh, west on, on off of west liberty where a number of houses had sewage back up into their basements the homeowners were furious well ann arbor did something about the problem because the problem was essentially infrastructural the city limits of ann arbor used to be 7th street And beyond that was all farmland. So when you had heavy rainfall, that water got absorbed into the soil. You got it. And what do we have now west of 7th? We have shopping malls, mini malls, stores, commerce. We don't need to go into all the businesses. But from Pauline and Maple all the way out to Dexter Maple, we have continuous parking lots and businesses. This also happens to be one of the high spots in Ann Arbor. Mm -hmm. So when you get rain, that water's got to go somewhere. What goes up must come down, and the water has to flow somewhere. And this is one of the scientific problems that Houston and our country is, frankly, going to have to honestly address. You know, I don't know what extent the loss of life and the loss of property are going to be Uh, from this hurricane, uh, Tropical Storm, Harvey. But it's going to be certainly one of the top three of all time. Let's recall, by the way, that the Texas delegation, the congressional delegation, back when New York City and uh, New Jersey were being uh, inundated with uh, Sandy, the Mm -hmm. Tropical Storm Sandy, first they had a semantic debate about whether it was a hurricane or not. You know, the winds have to be over 75 miles an hour. Well, who cares? It created massive flooding. The subways in New York City were inoperable for days. And it took amazing work to get that cleaned up. Well, these congressmen from Texas prevented the funding from going out for three weeks. They held this up in a in a budget deal and came up with a budget... Um, deal um, where the current OMB, Mulvaney, from South Carolina, he called it an offset. He said, well, we'll give you this money, but we got to cut spending somewhere else in the budget. So that's kind of what happened. They held out. They wouldn't agree to this emergency funding. Well, Mulvaney is now the chairman of the, uh, he's the head of the OMB for For Donald Trump. So, are are we going to have three weeks' delays to offset FEMA spending on this uh, disaster in Houston? I don't know. But are we going to have some political points being made about that? I think it might be high time to make those points that people in the New York, New Jersey area suffered unnecessarily because of the Texas delegation. Louis Gomert, Jeb Henserling, John Cornyn, he's a leader in the Senate. You can see him all the time on television. He's part of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Him and Mitch McConnell and Barrasso and John Thune. They always appear together in this this grouping of the top four leaders of the Republicans in the Senate. It's amazing. It's the same photograph every time. They're looking really, really stern. (laughs) Well, they have been the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And how bizarre that the governor of Texas, Mr. Abbott, would be saying the words, well, I don't want to call it biblical, but how about apocalyptic? (laughs) Well, who knows? Uh, the city of Houston has contributed more to global warming than any place on the planet. That may be a a statement that you can dispute, but I doubt it. It's been the, the heart of our refining capability. And it's a port city. The oil comes in. That oil from Saudi Arabia that we were importing in massive quantities... From the presidency of Richard Nixon through the presidency of George W. Bush.
1: Well, and all those uh, rocket launches, too.
0: That's where it comes from. That's wh- where it went. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, Houston played an enormous role in World War II, allowing fuel in our—back when we were actually an exporter of oil—to uh, keep the Allies winning— well, I saw the neo Nazi f- people in Charlottesville, and I just want to reiterate once again that Trump cannot get away.